When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 216. Well, just ahead, how a telemedicine pioneer is finally turning its business around. And Alphabet is quietly putting AI to use for its own benefit. And a new cell therapy changing the way we treat joint injuries and burns Innovation are happening at Vericell Corporation. Our guest CEO, Nick Colangelo, fascinating stuff. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. Right, we're back with The Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind some stocks that are on the move, and boy, are they on the move. And boy... Is Isaac Webster, an executive producer. And boy, am I on the move. Um, this is a very, uh, a, lo- a lot of cool moving stocks today. So Corey, let's get started. What stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with that COVID darling, Teladoc. Teladoc, Teladoc Health uh, trades under TDOC and shares have jumped 24% in the past 24 hours as of we record as of our recording this and shares have gained 25% since the start of 2023 but TDOC shares um they're almost 30% lower if you're looking at a 12 month chart so, so put rough, it another way all of the move in the stock has happened in the last day and yeah. still the stock's down 30% in the last year and that's because yeah. these guys um, have snatched defeat from the jaws of victory when they are in a, a situation where the whole world's turning turning towards telemedicine they have had trouble uh, with their business. They've had trouble with acquisitions. They've had trouble. So they put up numbers that were really good. Their revenues were up 11%. Their loss, you know, if you weren't paying attention to this company, don't get too excited about what I'm about to tell you. But their net loss in the quarter uh, a year ago was about $3.1 billion, only $65,000 this quarter. That sounds great. But in fact, they had about a $3 billion goodwill impairment last year. So really uh, not a huge improvement for thing. But uh, for this thing, but, but, you know, a little bit better, a little bit better than things had been when the expectations are so low and you do just okay, that, that leads to a big move in the stock and uh, double digit uh, predict, well, predictions for the remainder of the year is for single digit uh, growth in the top line, low, mid single digits and double digit profit growth this year and next in the year after free cash flow also substantially improving for this company, $150 million up from a hundred million a year ago. And, and the free cash flow of course is different than accounting treatments of goodwill write downs. And what that means is that their customers can look at them and say, Hey, these guys are going to be around for a minute. They're creating free cash flow. They say a teledoc says it helps them sign new contracts. Uh, and interesting to me, and interesting to all of our podcast listeners and guess what, Isaac, all of our listeners, all 100% of them, are in fact podcast listeners. <laughs> that is and true. So, yeah. And so uh, on other podcasts, you may have heard, perhaps even on this one, ads for better help. 
mm-hmm. an online uh, uh, service that allows for people to meet with therapists, uh, uh, again, over over the interwebs uh, in the privacy of their own whatever, but also just the ability to find a therapist, a good therapist, is a difficult thing. BetterHelp claims to help with that, and that business owned by Teladoc is doing great, and it's been increasingly profitable. Here's Teladoc's CFO, Mala Murphy. We are seeing strong growth margin performance uh, overall. We're seeing that across the business, both on the integrated care side and the BetterHelp side. Um, you know, specific uh, to BetterHelp, um, look, over the course of 2022, um, we talked about improvements in BetterHelp growth margins. We have done a number of things. We've actually taken a number of initiatives to improve therapist productivity. Um, ranging from uh, group sessions, group therapy sessions, to more digital interactions. Um, And, you know, all of that is resulting certainly in um, the trends that we are seeing in our uh, growth margin uh, improvement for better health. Uh, I would say um, that that's really the, the key driver of the growth margin expansion that we are seeing overall therapist productivity improvements. So therapists maybe don't measure themselves on productivity. Maybe you wish they would, but uh, it's good to see better help working. I think that's a service we would all agree we want more people to have access to. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Texas Instruments, that giant semiconductor manufacturer. Yeah, Texas Instruments trades under TXN and shares have dropped almost 6% over the past 24 hours as of our recording this. And TXN shares have only gained 9% in a year, well below the yeah, market. Yeah, think about where we were a year ago, right? Like right. a year ago, talking about semiconductors, talking about this massive demand of semiconductors, talking right. about um, reshoring production of semiconductors, some of TI's, uh, Texas TXN is this ticker, TI is what we call it in the industry. Um, some of TI's production is in the U.S., but the notion that because of the shortages that happened during COVID, that companies were going to keep inventory, gain inventory, hold more inventory. And yet historically in the in the chip business, if you see inventory, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, Texas Instruments came out and reported that, yeah, they had inventory. They didn't call it problematic. I, Corey Johnson, is calling it problematic. Now, Texas Instruments themselves said, oh, don't worry about that. A lot of that stuff never goes bad. A lot of that stuff is is just shelf stuff that we can sell years from now. It doesn't go out of style, kind of like Taylor Swift. <laughs> but in fact, uh, this is just an uninspiring quarterly earnings report and worse than that, a lackluster outlook for the next quarter. Uh, and that's so important with this company, uh, that outlook uh, that they gave of a midpoint about $4.6 billion in revenues. That's way down from the $5.2 billion they did a year ago in the third quarter. And yeah, inventory is a concern. Uh, there are days of inventory. That is, you take the amount of inventory and you divide uh, the revenues from the last quarter, you know, the number of days of inventory sitting on the shelf or, or the dollar amount of the inventory on the shelf into 91 days. Well, that gives them 207 days worth of inventory, uh, oh. which is a bad number. That's not only 12 days worse. A year ago, it was 113 days in the second quarter. So on a year-over-year basis, to go from 113 days of inventory to 207 days, I don't care what they say about this inventory not going bad on the shelf. It's not a good sign. Uh, and it's historically always been a worry in the chip business, uh, particularly as we slow, see a slowdown in the personal electronics or the PE business. Very different from the well-documented rebounded chip sales into the automotive sector. So trying to uh, help us understand 
the pushes and pulls of their businesses. Here is Dave Paul. He's the head of investor relations at Texas Instruments. Normally, we don't like to quote an investor relations head, but uh, he's just a super insightful guy. He's been in at this for nearly four decades. So I thought uh, Dave Paul's comments were really helpful from Texas Instruments. I think if you look across the end markets uh, broadly, um, uh, you know, you could say that uh, all of them uh, uh, showed weakness and uh, reflective of customers uh, reducing uh, inventories, with the exception of, of automotive. Um, and even inside of that, of course, uh, if you look at industrial, uh, it's not all, all the sectors aren't identical, uh, meaning you've had uh, strength in aerospace, grid infrastructure, uh, in other uh, sectors uh, like that. Uh, so, and, and PE is the same way. Not all the, uh, 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 not all of the uh, sectors were as weak or as strong as others. So, um, uh, but, uh, but broadly, you could say it was uh, uh, across each of those markets. So, yeah, reducing inventories by our customers when you're sitting on a lot of inventories, just bad news for Texas Instruments. And it, it is interesting, Isaac, that we heard so many uh, prognosticators say that companies were going to keep more inventory, that once COVID was gone, things were going to be different. The companies were going to uh, take more precautions to avoid problems in the future. And here we are not even a year later, and they're refusing to build inventory. Same old, same old. Corey, what's your next drill down? I want to look at a company that's been looked at a lot, but I think we've got some interesting perspective on what's happening with Alphabet. Alphabet, known also as Google in some parts, uh, trades under G-O-O-G-L. And shares have risen 9% over the past month and are 23% higher in a year. So what's right, new about OG, Alphabet? OG, the, 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 you know, there's two, two uh, um, classes of stock there that trade. Right. But yes, uh, uh, Alpha, Alphabet shares, um, which I'm trying not to call Google, even though the company was once called Google, and the stock ticker is reminiscent of that. An interesting quarter for this company. A lot of the world was looking to see what they would say about AI and rolling out AI tools. Microsoft has been so aggressive making sure that uh, while they might have lost the last battle for the internet and search, they're not going to lose the next battle of the internet in AI. So Microsoft being very loud about um, uh, their investments in AI, Google not so much. So I want to dig into that a little bit and talk about what Google's doing with AI. But first, let's look at, uh, well, look at Alphabet, I should say, with AI, in particular, the things they're doing at the Google division within Alphabet. But Google's advertising revenue increased by 3.2% to $58 billion in the quarter. Uh, in particular, their search or Google search and other revenue up. Uh, but computing revenues also, their, their hosting business that competes with Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure, um, at 28% increase top line. And capital spending for this company, $6.9 billion. If you think about that, they spent so much money in capital spending, more than most companies, almost all the S&P 500 companies make just in revenues. And that's what these guys, these guys spend in CapEx and a lot of that was AI. But I thought it was really interesting to see the strength in advertising. YouTube ad revenues, for example, up 4%. And the company said, Alphabet said, that the YouTube increase in ad revenue was thanks to big brands spending, in mm. addition to subscription revenue doing well. And I was thinking about Don Logan, uh, an old friend of mine who was a head of Time Incorporated back in the day, back when that mattered a lot. We were talking about a, the rumors of a recession. And he, he said to me, uh, and I won't do his Southern accent, but he said that uh, advertising is the canary in the coal mine for the economy. That the first thing that goes when a recession is on the way is advertising. And what we're seeing, Don Logan, if you're out there, what we're seeing right now is advertising is not getting 
seeing the pullback, that Google is seeing an increase in advertising spending. And to me, that's a real positive sign for the broader economy and the likelihood of a recession, perhaps not, not as strong if companies are spending in advertising. Now, is it possible, Corey, yeah. that some of these ad dollars have simply been shifted over from Twitter or AKA X? Uh, the, these numbers are, uh, a fraction of these numbers would have been the annual numbers of Twitter's advertising. Ah, gotcha. Even okay. in the good days, long before it became X. So I, I think whatever shifts were going to happen to Google happened a, a decade ago, not uh, in the last uh, ten weeks, Got it. Um, f- to a large to a large extent, and I think that you know Google is Google and Facebook are advertising mm-hmm. in the world right now. Anything else is kind of a joke. TikTok aside, in any case, I'm talking about publicly traded companies. Back to AI. So the AI tools I mentioned, Microsoft, you know, making a lot of noise with their open AI investment, with their beta tools in Bing. It's not really widely available all of their stuff. But Google has been quietly, I would say more quietly, spending billions in AI. And the first of those tools are going straight to the advertisers, not to the users, to help the advertisers know where to spend, how to create new ads on the fly. Tools like Google Ads AI Essentials. How does it work? So you could have something, so you've got like a skincare product and you've already got ads on Google. If someone does a search, skincare for dry and sensitive skin, the AI at Google could instantly look at the content from the landing page of that skincare company, look at their existing ads, instantly on the fly using AI, create a new headline that aligns even more closely with the search query. So when someone types skincare for dry, sensitive skin, the ad will show up saying, smooth your dry, sensitive skin. Mm Mm-hmm. And that would help improve the ad relevance and help those people sort of stay close to their brand, but get close to that web search. Those are the AI tools that are out there right now and leading to an increase in advertising spending at Alphabet. Here's Alphabet's chief business officer, Philip Schindler. Generative AI is supercharging new and existing ads products with really tons of potential ahead. And then we're really helping advertisers here make better decisions, solve problems, uh, enhance creativity. And for example, we launched a new conversational experience in Google Ads, um, the asset creation flow in Pmax. I mentioned the automatically created assets, the product studio, uh, and so on. Um, when I talk to customers, they're very excited about AI and uh, understandably have some questions. Uh, one of the top questions is, for example, what's the next best step I should take? Uh, and this is a key reason why we launched our Google Ads AI Essentials. Uh, it's a checklist of simple steps customers can take right now to unlock the power of AI and has to do with the foundation of data and measurement. It has to do with taking action with our AI-powered products. Uh, and it really... Um, is a mindset shift to set up organizations for AI success. So yeah, Phil Schindler there uh, talking about how these tools are already being put to, put to work and making the business of the ad business work faster with AI and leading to a higher spend for Google and for Alphabet. It's really fascinating what they can do. And I also oh my God, see- did my Rochester, wait, did my Rochester accent come on? I don't think it did. did I say I- and? I think I said and. Uh, yeah, I didn't clock it if you did. I don't know. I'm trying to, I've, I've tried so hard to excise that. Well, you're there in Rochester. I took a yoga class in Rochester recently and, and I heard the yoga instructor say, okay, move your arms over your head. Not I love good. that. Not good. All right, coming up next, we have a really interesting conversation, I think, with um, uh, a company called Vericell. And they have used some uh, existing technologies and some new technologies to come up with ways to treat burn victims. 
and to help grow new skin, things that have never been done before, offering hope to uh, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people uh, who have suffered uh, like uh, the way humans have suffered from the beginning of time. This is a cure to some uh, vexing problems, a fascinating conversation with CEO Nick Colangelo right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled, technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by the CEO of Vericell, uh, Nick Colangelo, joining us uh, from Cambridge, Mass., Fancy Cambridge, Mass. Glad to have you, Nick. Well, thanks, Corey. Great to be here. So Vericell's a really interesting company uh, to me. And it, I, I think to some people who don't know the science, not that I'm going to, well, I will pretend to know the science in a moment here, but uh, the, the two businesses that you're in, which is essentially knee cartilage repair and, and uh, burn treatment, uh, uh, and uh, seem very different. But I guess what they have in common is collagen. Well, yeah, what they have in college or in common is actually the fact that these are therapies that use the patient's own cells to repair tissue and restore function. So as you mentioned, we are the leading provider of advanced cell therapies for the sports medicine and severe burn care market. And we do have a portfolio of highly innovative cell therapies and specialty biologics that are really focused on changing the standard of care for patients with knee cartilage injuries and severe burns, as you mentioned. So we currently have two products that we uh, market in the United States, Macy and Epicel. And these are regulated by the FDA as combination biologic device products with obviously the biologic component. I wanted to ask you about that. That's a really weird thing. Yeah, it is. Right, It's not just a drug. It's not just a device. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. So there's an office of combination products and that's, you know, where these products fall. And obviously the biologic component is the use of the patient's own cells, as I mentioned, to repair damaged tissue and restore function. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, let's, let's kind of break it up. So uh, the bigger business for you thus far has been the Macy product, has been the, the knee product. Correct. So I want to talk at, at, at length here about that. So what's going on with our knees? We're all getting older. Yep. We're the, the marathons, uh, you're, you're there in Cambridge, but the, the marathons are harder to do. Um, but there's been a, a really rapid growth in the, um, uh, the analysis of what's going on in, in damaged knees. Yeah, so the, you know, Obviously, cartilage injury. So cartilage is on the end of all the bones and the joints, and it basically allows for frictionless movement and prevents against shearing and compressive forces and so on. And, you know, cartilage injuries in the knee are very common. So about 60% of knee arthroscopies will show some sort of cartilage damage. And so let me, I'm going to, I'm going to unpack that for a second. So, so when someone's got a, a knee that is so bad, the doctor wants to do an arthroscopic look at what's going on in the knee, 60% of the time they find a cartilage problem. Yeah. So very common. uh, And really it's caused by acute and repetitive trauma or other degenerative conditions. Obviously the knee is the greatest weight bearing uh, joint in the body. So you get a lot of injuries to the cartilage there. And the issue with cartilage, um, unlike virtually every other tissue in your body, is that it has 
limited capacity for in, intrinsic healing because it doesn't have no, no blood vessels, no blood vessels, no lymphatics, no, lymphatic, yeah. no nerves. Um, and so, yeah, once you have one of these injuries and it's like a pothole on the surface of your knee, you basically obviously have pain, dysfunction, you move on to osteoarthritis and ultimately a partial or full knee replacement. And that's what we're trying to prevent with Macy. Yeah. I, I wanted to get to that. So fundamentally for all those, you know, people who know old people who get new knees, uh, th- this is a way of, of, of avoiding that. Yeah. And, you know, the Macy is typically used in younger active patients. So if you look at either the pivotal cl- clinical study that was r- run for the product or even a publication of the first thousand patients that we treated in the U.S., the average age was about 35 with kind of a bell huh. curve from the teens to the early 50s. So definitely focused on more of those kind of weekend warriors, younger active patients. So it's athletes, not uh, obese old people. Correct. There are BMI limitations uh, for the use of Macy. Oh, interesting. What is that? So like, you know, typically insurance companies will require BMI of under 35, just so that, you know, cells can properly grow and, and the injury can heal. So, so um, uh, this is. I'm so, I'm so interested in. This. I'm so interested in this. In this, the growth of this of the cartilage right. process. Because you know, when most people uh, are familiar with collagen, maybe or they know about collagen uh, fillers that that people use for cosmetic surgery, especially people in Los Angeles. Like uh. I'm not saying that our producer Isaac Webster is completely plastic, but. <laughs> Our listeners can decide from the tone of his voice. Nonetheless, uh, uh, those collagen fillers or the collagen supplements that people take are all are always uh, derived from animals. So usually yep. from from uh, cows and cattle, and ca- in, in indeed the cartilage of cows. Yep. Um, uh, how does your process work without having to access? animal cartilage? Well, we actually do. So I'll just start by saying, you know, as you mentioned, when a surgeon is doing an investigational arthroscopy, what's called a chondroplasty, if they see a cartilage defect and they think the patient might be eligible for Macy, they'll take a small tic-tac size biopsy of healthy cartilage from a non-weight-bearing portion of the knee. They send it to our manufacturing facility here in Cambridge. We isolate the chondrocytes, which are the cells that produce cartilage, and we expand them, and then we cryopreserve them until a patient's ready to move on for surgery. At that point, we thaw the cells, we further expand them, and we seed them onto a collagen membrane, and it's actually a porcine collagen membrane, so a pig membrane from the peritoneum from a company in Germany, same company that does dental uh, implants and so on. And we seat the cells at about half a million to a million cells per square centimeter. We package it up. We send it overnight to the surgeons, either the ASC or the hospital. And they basically clean that pothole on a patient's knee or debride the injury. They cut the membrane to the size of the defect. They implant it cell side down, obviously, um, and then glue it in place. And over time, what happens is those chondrocytes migrate down the collagen fibers to the subchondral bone. They start producing extracellular matrix that turns into the hyaline-like cartilage that's naturally present in so the knee. For, so that, let's break that apart a little bit. So uh, collagen can exist in sort of a single cell uh, that is it, is it is not very useful in that way. You've got to have the triple helix of the proteins to create a long strand of collagen. And those long strands of collagen that can be essentially woven like a fabric into, into what you're calling the extracellular matrix, a matrix of collagens that allows you to have 
skin. I don't uh, forward right. promoting our next conversation, our next part of our conversation, but skin or cartilage or whatever. That's that extracellular matrix is the reason that these things can't be made from other kinds of collagens that don't have that that ability to be have long strands of collagen. Yeah. Is so that right? that, well, that's the the membrane itself again. The, it's a collagen membrane that comes from the the pigs, and then you know we seed the cells. Chondrocytes are spindle cells, so they kind of grab onto those fibers that you're describing that are naturally present. And then again, when they're in the defect, they kind of let go and they migrate down to the subchondral bone and they start producing the cartilage that's naturally present in the knee. So it's not collagen they're producing in the knee, it's the cartilage. Right, right, right. And what is it that that allows these to grow when the cartilage couldn't grow without it? Well, you know, there's once, so we culture the chondrocytes in fetal bovine serum. So those are growth promoters. So the cells basically double every day. So that's how you get to having, call it 10 to 15 million cells on basically a 15 square centimeter uh, implant. And then once they're in that environment, they can continue to replicate because you kind of de-differentiate them back to an earlier, less mature state. So basically, you're making the knee think that you're a six year old again, uh, and, and and start to grow that cartilage, something uh, like that. Yep, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, now, why is the business? I, I guess you wouldn't take a, a a biopsy of a knee if you didn't have a way to fix it. So the fact that Correct. you've got a solution means that doctors are more willing to, uh, at least the doctors who know about your solution, yep. are more willing to uh, do those biopsies. Absolutely. And so, you know, we've obviously been expanding the business quite substantially since we launched in 2017. And Macy's become, you know, the leading restorative cartilage repair brand on the market. And it's continuing to grow at, you know, trailing nine-month growth as we exit sort of the, the COVID headwinds for elective surgeries, you know, it's close to 30%. So it's growing pretty substantially still. All right. So let's turn to skin and burns. Um, how is that business similar? Not, not the business so much, but how right. is the, the product similar? Yeah. Well, to your first point of, gee, it seems like different markets. They're definitely different markets, but the underlying core platform technology is again, using a patient's own cells and the cell manufacturing um, process. So I'd liken it to any big biotech or big pharma company. They're in all sorts of different therapeutic areas, but you know they've got certain core research, development, and manufacturing capabilities, and then they market into different markets. It's very much the same for us. So you know, Epicel is the product um, that we've had on the market for. It's basically the only FDA-approved permanent skin replacement for patients with large total body surface area burns, so thirty percent or more, and those are huge burns because 1% body surface area is basically the size of your hand. So you can imagine those are very large burns. And we treat patients who are upwards of 70, 80, 90% of body surface area oh. burns. So it's a very important life-saving product. Same sort of thing. Um, you know, skin is highly immunogenic, right? The, the function of skin as an organ is a barrier function. So you can't do an organ right. transplant and take someone else's skin and put it on. The body will slough it right off. So really the only option for these patients are autographs where you basically take, you know, a dermatome, slice off some skin, Typically, they'd run it through a mesher so they can cover more of the wound. That's why you often see that chicken wire appearance on sort of catastrophic burn, burn patients. Yeah. Um, or use a product like Epicel. So we do the same thing. We take two posted stamp size biopsies of healthy skin. We 
process those biopsies and isolate the keratinocytes. So that's the predominant uh, cell in the epidermal layer of the skin. We culture those and they form a layer, a sheet, basically two to eight cells thick. We apply a petroleum gauze backing, ship it to the burn center. They place those grafts, which are about the size of a playing card, onto the patient. Cell side down, seven to 10 days later, pull off the, um, the gauze and they basically have their new skin. And so, I mean, it's an amazing product to think about a couple small biopsies and within two to three weeks, you can basically cover an entire patient's body um, with their new skin. So, wow, really, really uh, great product. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and life changing for those people, life affirming at a, at a horrible time. And, and it also a product that is probably hard to study. Yes. Because you can't do, you know, triple blind studies of some burn patients get it and some burn patients don't. Exactly. And, and I, I'm curious how you got there. Obviously it creates a huge moat for you because other people yeah. are going to have trouble coming up with competitive uh, uh, products. Yeah. Well, we talk about that for both Macy and Epicel because, you know, as combination products, there's no established biosimilar pathway. There's no 510K right. pathway. So there's a big moat for both of these products. And in particular for Epicel, as we often say, you know, someone wanted to get into this market, they'd have to run a clinical trial. Um, and for the very reasons, the ethical reasons that you point out, you, you really can't do that. So the way Epicel was approved initially was as a humanitarian use device. So it was approved as a device. In this case, the device is the petroleum gauze backing. And, you know, based on patients that were treated somewhere around eight or 900 patients that was submitted to the FDA, these humanitarian use devices are sort of like an ultra orphan pathway. L LVADs, things like that are approved because, you know, the patient populations are so small, companies wouldn't study there or difficult. Um, but it showed the effectiveness of, you know, life-saving uh, capabilities, and that's how it was initially approved. And so- and to what your are these? Point, what do each of the treatments tend to cost? Well, so these are you know premium price products. There's no doubt. Uh, everything in burn is very expensive. So the grafts are about four thousand per graft. Um, but you know the the cost to these these are patients who can be in the hospital for months and up to a year, even in some cases. Right. So it's a, it's kind of a smaller fraction of the overall care for these patients who have all sorts of other typical, you know, inhalation injuries, other organ damage, et cetera. Um, for Macy, the implant, and it's got widespread coverage. All the major plans in the U.S. cover the product. Um, and it's a, our revenue per product is about $50,000. And, you know, if you think of total knee replacements or other kinds of things, it's really not sort of that dissimilar. Um, and obviously ours is a more sort of artisan manufacturing process where you're making a product for each individual patient. So absolutely fascinating. Um, and you and you still have things in in uh, uh, you have Nexobrid, is that right? Yes. So that's a so so this is this is the next the next the next thing for you guys. Yeah. You know, if you think about hospitalized burn patients, which are the patients we treat, there's really two aspects to their treatment. Number one is you've got this burned dead tissue, which is called eschar, and you have to get rid of it as fast as you can because a it creates you know an area where infections can occur, it right. burns continue to progress because your body has an inflammatory response. And so you really need to get rid of that eschar quickly. Right now, 
surgical excision in this the standard of care now you can imagine burns are variable depth so it's like a 3d burn and you take a two-dimensional knife and try to slice away the dead skin there's a lot of healthy skin and blood loss and very traumatic for the patient nexibird is a is a mixture of proteolytic enzymes that somehow are able to recognize collagen proteins that are denatured by thermal burns doesn't work if it's an electric burn it's just the way that the proteins are denatured that the product can recognize that and basically when it's what does denatured mean well you know they in a different form than they're naturally present in the body okay um and so so what ends up happening is this is a top rather than going into the or and and having surgery to remove the scar it's basically topically applied and over the course of four hours it dissolves the dead tissue and leaves the healthy tissue so it's a selective and effective um Escar removal agent. So we are extremely excited. We licensed this product in a few years ago, got it approved by the FDA, and we're looking forward to launching it here in the in the very near term. And we believe it's going to change the standard of care for how you treat these patients. I don't, you know, you can, it's obvious you'd rather have a selective Escar removal uh, product and not have to go into surgery. Than, than a chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's it's fascinating. How how was this discovered, or what, what's what's the source of this this collagen? Yeah. So, well, this is not collagen. These are the proteolytic Sorry. enzymes. Um, proteolytic the enzymes that that, that 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 sort through the collagen. Yeah. So, the skin is what there's I mean. a Sorry. company called Metawound that's based in Israel that has been developing this product for over 20 years. It's approved already in over 40 countries: EU, Japan, India, uh, uh, and now the U.S. And believe it or not, it's derived from the enzymes in pineapple stems. So the botanical raw material is grown in Taiwan, and then it's the the drug substance is manufactured in Israel, and then will be shipped here to us in the U.S. Just fascinating. That's 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 crazy. Um, and 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 the other products are growing really fast. And and uh, um, are, are the are people getting burnt more? No, you know, I think- Is that a dumb question? That's my job is asking uh, dumb questions. No, you know, we did see a spike like in 2021 of larger, the incidence of larger burns, but it's kind of a normalized, um, you know, there's about 40,000 hospitalized burn patients in the US each year. Really for Epicel, you know, most of them, call it three quarters, are going to have to have some kind of eschar removal. So that's where Nexibrit will come into play. For Epicel, you know, the addressable market is somewhat less than a thousand patients a year. And that's been pretty consistent. I would just say that the reason, you know, we've grown the product pretty well is, you know, we have a good sales force, good marketing team, good clinical team. We're out there in more burn centers and, you know, there's been greater adoption of the product. Wow. God bless you for that. Um, fascinating company. Um, and we appreciate your time. Uh, Vericell CEO, Nick Colangelo. Thank you for time. Thank you, Corey. All right, up next in the Drill Down Podcast, the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot more about Vericell after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And please let the rest of the world know what you like about the Drill Down Podcast. Tell a friend or leave a review on Apple iTunes or on Spotify. Let the rest of the world see what you think is useful about this show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net.
Right, we are back with the Drill Down Podcast Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Varicel. Isaac, I didn't mean to throw you under the, the bus with plastic surgery <laughs> concerns, but you, you, I've known you for a long time, and you have not aged. <laughs> and you're in L.A., and you're disturbingly good-looking, and i just say Oh, I'm blushing. No one can tell, but I'm blushing. But you can't yeah, say, well, but, you but, you can, but there's no expression on my face, right? It's just frozen in time. Because of the the Botox and the collagen <laughs> implants and the uh, God knows what else. Listen, I'm not opposed to any of it. I'm ready when the time comes. All right, but, well, um, I'll, I'll have to find out what these things are. I see that, yes, the signs. Well, um, I thought it'd be useful to look at how many cartilage repair uh, surgeries, procedures there are uh, in the U.S. every year, which is so important for this company. And that number, Isaac. Drum roll, please. Uh, is 750,000 oh. every year. Oh, cartilage repair procedures. Yeah, that's a lot. Now, interestingly, they're looking at the ankle business as well, which is uh, only about one-fifth the size of the knee business. But uh, should they get approval for ankles, their total addressable market would increase by another 165,000 procedures a year, they think. But uh, 750,000, there's your bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Vericell, 750,000 cartilage repair procedures in the U.S. every year. Um, and... Uh, yeah. I wonder if I'm a candidate. I've got this little thing in my right knee. I'm a little concerned. Well, hey, call him up. Full- no, I think I'll instead I'll just get bigger and bigger quads. <laughs> that would help. I got to say, to me, the, the most exciting thing about this company and what they're doing is the science behind it, the technology behind it. And the sky's the limit of where it's going to go within the next, like, five years. Repairing skin cells, well, yeah, trading, I mean- you know... Swapping out faces, swapping out knees, easy breezy. Uh, the I I can't imagine what 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 uh, hope that gives the uh, the burn patients. Yeah, and also the also uh, the those of us that are vain. Well, I don't know that they're there for for that yet. They will be. <laughs> hope springs eternal. Uh, you've been listening to the Drill Down Podcast. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson stitches this all together with a fabulous edit. The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network.